turn in your Bibles to the book of John, the 16th chapter, verse 24. I, I don't know whether it's because I'm getting older or, or what it is. Thank you, madam. But I, I get up really early. And um, I'm, it was like Brother Les. I go and I sit in a chair looking out of the window in our front yard and wait for the sunrise. And as I was praying and just thinking about the day and listening to the Father's voice, um, he, uh, he directed me to this passage. And the initial thing that I heard was about asking. We know, I, I bet we better read this. Uh, John sixteen twenty four. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. When I, when I first started to sense this verse, and of course we all know it, so it wasn't said to me audibly, it just was played over in my mind, and I knew it was from the Lord. I, I initially thought, oh yeah, okay, Father, you want, you want us to talk about asking. You want us to talk about um, iteo, which is, this is the word for prayer here in this scripture which means somebody that is in authority, somebody that has uh, a responsibility, somebody who is conversing. It's kind of like the expression of authority out of supplication. Um, But that person, when considering what the scenario is for the work that's ahead of them, can ask from that basis. And it's different from the myriad other words in prayer in the Scripture. So when Jesus was talking to his disciples and he's talking to us, that framework of asking the Father in Jesus' name is something that he was going to be sacrificing himself so that we could do. And, and I thought, okay, well, well, that's great. You know, a few weeks ago we talked about this uh, and we told the folks to ask the Lord for something that he brought to their heart. And so then I thought, all right, Father, um, I'm happy to talk about that again today. Um, and so I pulled the verse up, and I started reading it. And I remembered that just a couple of weeks ago, we came here on a Wednesday night to ask the Lord for joy. And that was a prophetic directive that Monica had felt, and I bore witness with it. But we came that night, and I remember what God said about how that the words that you wrote were expressions from him for you and that your writing of that was for you and and he also began to speak to me about how joy really is really a burst of kind of like uh, faith adrenaline where God gives you a burst of encouragement or even a, a vision or an insight about what is coming, and that carries you through. And I was remembering all these things, and then suddenly, see, I'm just talking, we're going to get to what I'm going to talk about here for a minute, so just hang with me. And then I remembered that at the very beginning of this year, the Lord gave me that incredible dream 
and a vision about great favor being hung in just suspended in the air right over this place and how that favor in uh, in King James it was even written in King James English uh, meant grace so we began to declare great favor and great grace over all of you for this year and I knew that this was going to be a year where God's grace was going to be promoting and providing and he's done that he has done that um, I'm so thankful for that but the year's not finished so I was remembering all of those things especially when I was considering joy and so when I when I started to think then about joy and being full full doesn't mean to be you know like a glass filling to the top it it really means fulfilled it means completed it means um, something that is has been worked on or believed for and here it is in 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 its absolute um, totality and that's what fullness is so I thought Jesus why why did you say these things in this string and father why why do you want us to talk about this today and at that point God began to show me a lot of things about joy that I really had never been led to to look at before and this really I think is going to help us um, it's it's really going to be something that we can add to our um, our vocabulary in in the understanding of the things of the Spirit and um, I I know that this is a gift from God to us today so I'm trying to think about where to begin because there's three or four ways I can go about this I'll just talk about joy joy is kara and you look at it and you can immediately tell that it is it is directly affixed to grace and to rejoicing but you would think though that when you look at how this word it's only four letters in the Greek that it perhaps would be the root of grace and of rejoicing but it's not actually grace is the root in the New Testament so that's the essence of everything it doesn't spring from anything else grace is God saying from his spirit because it's one of his seven spirits I want you to partner with me for something that's coming I want you to partner with me for something that is a new horizon, something that's beyond where you are. That's what grace is. And uh, when we rejoice, rejoice is almost exactly like the word for grace, but rejoice is that you just keep that mentality. You know, you just keep singing and giving, keep that, that idea in front of you so that you don't lose track of what's really going on. And so when we rejoice in grace, we're simply praising God for what's coming. But joy is something very much different. It's not just a mindset. It's not just an attitude. It's, it's not just something that you feel good and you say, man, I'm just so joyful today. Joy to the world. You know, it's not, it's not that. But joy 
is a very strange word, this kara. And it, it, it really, it, it, the words in the Bible that are used from this particular variation are amazing to me. The first is that to make sharp, this is karax, to make something sharp, an implement sharp, or perhaps even a thought, to clarify it to the degree that it becomes absolutely um, narrowed to a fine point. And from that, the word is used to describe writing. You've heard of the Magna Carta. Well, Carta is directly from Kara. It means uh, great writing. I remember going to uh, a place when we went to Washington for the Million Man Prayer Time. Um, Rick and I were roommates, which is still kind of a, a, a very delightful my memories of that. was kind of fun. Um, but there was the Magna Carta that Ross Perot purchased, and he had lent it to uh, one of those museums. And I stood there looking at it, and it was worth millions and millions of dollars. But that, that word is from joy. Um, it also, joy, becomes the word that we get in our English to chart something. Um, you know, you have a cartographer, somebody that charts out a map of things they'd seen, even though they may not be there right now. Our cartographers were very, very well respected in the, in the days of exploration. And they would write things and make them very precise so that people could see and go there or that people could see and marvel about possibilities that were there. So then one of the, one of the most wonderful ways that this extends is a word that we use, character. And it's only used once in the New Testament and that is in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. And I, I want to read that for you because it speaks about our Lord. And I, I know that, I know that it's, uh, it's just amazing that this word from joy is what the Bible uses to describe him. Hebrews 1, verse 3. And if I can, it's hard to turn pages with one hand, um, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Express image is character. Now, they use this word. It was only used here in, in the New Testament, but they used that word to describe somebody who could um, coin, make coins, or somebody that could um, carve things with great capability and great um, artisanship. And I, th I think that's very interesting um, that, that the Bible would use a derivative of the word of joy to describe how Jesus represents the Father. And that, that's just stunning to me. Um, and so I think about when Jesus was looking to the joy set before him, 
he, he wasn't just looking to the happiness that was going to be achieved because he was sacrificing himself for us. He was absolutely looking as the image of God to, to the precise detail of what God had ordained to be in grace. What God's grace for his ministry and for what he apostolically was called to do was going to achieve. And the Lord kept his eyes focused on that image, as it were. And we talk about somebody having good character. Uh, and usually we mean that that person has great integrity. And you can look to them, and you, when you see them, they inspire you because they depict something that is noble. And, you know, I was thinking about, and I don't have this. I've got to research this. But here in Hebrews 1, 3, the express image of God, character, I wondered about how God created us in his image initially. I'll have to extrapolate that and see if there is any connection between that term and this one. But the point is that joy is when we have our focus on what grace, joy comes from grace. And again, I said, when linguistically, you would think it would be the other way around, but it's not. Uh, joy comes from grace. And joy is something that we have to have a precise view of, um, that we have to not only keep rejoicing regarding what God is wanting to do and be happy about it, but we have to maintain our focus and we have to gain clarity and we have to embrace the clarity that God gives. And we have to even remember what God has shown so that we can sharply detail in our, for our own purposes and maybe even to tell others what it is that God is revealing and what it is that he is going to do through his grace. To me, that is, that is joy. Joy unspeakable. I mean, you, you can't talk about it in, in human terminology. You can't uh, derive it from your own thespian abilities in speaking and declaring. Uh, joy is beyond what we can write or think. Joy is the objective of grace. Joy is the, um, the, the charting of the path of grace. Joy is the is not only the apex, but the objective of grace. And when God gives us joy, it is, um, it is for the purpose of reiterating what we are focused on in grace. And, you know, there are other passages of Scripture where Jesus said that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you agape one another, that your joy may be full. What does that mean? That, you know, if you hang around the wrong people, if you're, if you're not focused with people who share the same agape pathway as you, in other words, who are on the pathway of grace that God has given you, there are a lot of different pathways of grace. The key is to find what you're supposed to be doing and stick to it. Um, life gets really confusing when you lose focus. Life gets really confusing when you might want to jump ship and abandon the course that God has put you on. You know, the Bible speaks about failing in grace. 
and it, it, it brings a root of bitterness, but it also can um, create bitterness. I think bitterness kind of eats away at people, and then they abandon grace. But the point is, is that joy is, uh, is, is made full as well, brought to completion in the company of people that God has assigned to work with you and to be with you. And, you know, it, it's so funny. I mean, I'm not, I am not being presumptuous or saying that I, I do believe that the calling of the saints is the greatest calling. I just believe that. You can't blow me off that. And I, I think it's the most imperative calling, along with the prophetic insights that, that God shows in his end-time scriptures. But, um, but sometimes when I'm around other Christians, you know, I, I share the love of the Lord with them, but I, but I recognize that they aren't, just by what they say and what they believe, they aren't on the same pathway that God has given us. And I can be gracious to them. I can love them. I can, I can even talk their language. But um, I, I know that they're called to something else. No matter how attractive that those people are or that ministry is, I don't compare because I have to keep rejoicing in the grace that God has given us. And it's an amazing thing that God has given us. But the joy that is set before us is that depiction, that artistic depiction of what, through God's grace, we're partnering with him to achieve. And it becomes clearer and clearer and, and I suspect it always will. But, but that's the joy. And so when you read about joy or you read about that your joy may be full, love one another, it's, it's, with that passage, if you put this definition in, you're not saying, okay, if I love this person, I'll be joyful. You're not saying that. And you're not saying, well, I've got to love them anyway because, you know, if I don't, then I'm going to really make Jesus angry. Uh, you don't say that either. See, there's a lot of ways we can twist the Scripture just from our own crazy thoughts. But the, the onus of those words are that if you are pressing toward that mark, that etching, that artistic de uh, uh, depiction, that, that map, of that, that painting of what is coming, um, you will, you will want that joy to be completed. And the commandment of the Lord is, make sure that you are functioning in agape with those who are like-minded. Now, there's phileo, there's eros in the Scripture, other types of love. You can like being around Christians. I do. I, I like being around friends that God has given me who are believers and I, I know that territory. I, I know a lot of where they live and what, how their services go. I know what they hear teaching. I'm not faulting that. But I can phileo that. But when I am pressing in to the joy that God set before us, I know that I need to have somebody that's just as sold out as I am. Somebody that is uh, breathing hard after that thing from the throne of God. And that's why I appreciate this Saints Network. 
so much. One of the reasons, you know, it's, it's wonderful to be able to be around saints. I mean, even yesterday you heard uh, the expressions coming from that, that wonderful church in Florida and from uh, others, uh, from other places, and they're speaking the same language that we are the exact same things. They seek after God. And those are the people that really are our closest family. And um, it's not that you can't like or fellowship or associate with others. But when it comes down to it, um, you're, you're going to want to fulfill that joy by being with those that are breathing hard after God. So you may want to look at the joy passages and, um, and really remember what this means. Now, there's another derivation of it that's not really pretty, and we're, about to, we're entering into it right now in the days we're living in. And one of the derivations of joy is the word chargma, and it's used eight times in the New Testament. Um, it's used once for somebody that makes idols, that carves out demonic idols. The rest of the times, it's used to describe the mark of the beast. Mark, I never realized this before, is a, is a derivation of joy. And you know how that grace is directly opposed by bitterness. And we've talked about that. We've written about that, how that bitterness is really the, the calling card into witchcraft and into, in really to, to the darkness. Where, and you see this being played out in, in so many of the, of the horrific scenes of murder or um, violent expressions in our country, those that are terrorists or those that are, invade schools with guns. And you, by and by, you hear that they either had an axe to grind or they, they, they have some kind of a, uh, they feel that the world has abandoned them or that America is treating them and their people badly. And there's always some kind of bitterness that forms a vision of what they want to do and the enemy is right with that. And um, I think that, I think that it is not any surprise at all that the enemy would want to use a word that mocks God and truly is an antithesis of what joy is and what grace is. And our society is, is doing everything it can to remove God. Uh, I remember when I was a kid when Time Magazine put the thing up there that said God is dead. I remember when John Lennon was said that the Beatles were he and the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. And I remember the uproar we had. I never thought that I would hear that um, any school district, but particularly over this past week, the, the the main school district in Fargo, North Dakota, would be saying that they could not say the Pledge of Allegiance because it uh, had the word God in it with a capital G. And they were removing it because apparently that was, uh, at least they weren't saying it was white supremacy. This time they were saying that it was some kind of a, 
of rejection of other people's faiths. And thank God parents rose up and said, no way, we're going to pledge, we're going to speak the, the Pledge of Allegiance. And they had to reinstate it. But it was about removing God. And so I think that the enemy is building this society of bitterness. Everybody's got some kind of thing that, that they've been rejected by. Everybody's got some group that has put them down. Everybody's got some idea that they need to be uh, paid off for the harms that have been done to them. And, and it's just that way over and over and over again. Is it true or am I just making that up? You can see that the atmosphere of bitterness is being put forward in, across our country, and it really is a shame. It's divisive. It's, it's, uh, it's certainly not thankful for the blessings God has given us. So I think that at some point, the enemy, instead of grace, is fomenting this idea of bitterness. And, and at some point, he's going to devise a mark of some sort, an artistic mark. It's not going to be just some little chip. If we believe what this word means, it's going to be some kind of a depiction. Maybe it'll be not just a tattoo, but maybe something that is branded into a person. Uh, they'll probably make it painless, and it will, it will denote who they are. You know, just like now, you can point your phone at, a, at an icon, and it'll take you right to uh, some, kind of a, some kind of a document. Or, um, it, it's, it's just amazing how society is, is growing. But in that mark will also be something that glorifies the enemy. You can guarantee that. So it's very interesting that the word that God uses for joy throughout the New Testament is something that the enemy is going to be twisting not very long from now to be a mark against grace, embracing bitterness or lack or some kind of, of defeat or despair. I don't know what kind of course will the world will be on that really roots that. I, it, may, it may just be bitterness alone that causes people to want to serve the enemy and commit to his, uh, his uh, world government. It might be some cataclysmic thing that comes and people are so distraught by it um, in fear and they're bitter about what's been lost and they're, they're grasping for some new beginning. And that may be the stage by which this demonic offering is put upon people. But it's going to depict something. It's going, to, it's going to be something that, in the spirit realm, marks those that are willing to become what the enemy is wanting, which is against grace, and something that um, is really focused on bitterness. And I started, just in the time that I had, to list the various things we know about the end times uh, from the scripture and the ways they absolutely earmark th a thumbing of the demonic nose to the seven spirits of God. This is one of them. It goes against the spirit of grace and supplication. 
you think about the Antichrist. That's anti-sons who are functioning in the anointing on behalf of the Father. And to me, that's, that's sonship. You think about the false prophet. There's prophecy. Um, you think about the beast. Well, you know, I grappled with this. And again, there's, it's just us talking about it. It's all in the same pot. But the beast is really something that comes against truth. So that should really be truth and sonship. And Christ should be against the work of the saints, I would think. But it's, it's just interesting that every one of these things that you see about the end times comes directly against God as an affront to him and the human beings that God has given life to turning themselves against him, which, as you read in the scriptures, uh, you read in the book of Revelation that John wrote under the anointing of, of, of the Spirit, that anything that happens, the people of the world turn their face against God and curse God. You see that. It's, it's just amazing. And so we have a work of grace. We have a joy that is set before us. We have, uh, we have the privilege of uh, being able to ask a God. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name, but ask. Ask in my name, and you shall receive, and your joy will be filled, full, fulfilled. There are things about what God shows us. Yes, in grace in general, as wonderful as that is, in our rejoicing in the plethora of things that are um, interpretation-related. Um, those things are wonderful, but there are specific things about the mark of the high calling that God shows us. And those things we need to go before the Father and ask, and they, they will be done. There, there are many revelations about how Iteo is used, how that asking and authority is used. Um, there are things that we can ask for, specifically sometimes things that come that are directly assaulting the finished product that God is wanting to achieve in joy. And we can ask for God to, in the name of Jesus, to amend those things or to correct those things, or to remove those things. And it's kind of like that mountain-moving type of, of asking. But I brought this today, and I told you where this came from. Um, I brought this today because I know that the Heavenly Father said he wanted us to talk about it. There has been an emphasis on joy over these past many weeks. And I think that probably what it means is that he is going to bring into focus in greater clarity the things that we've been believing for. And he is going to, he's going to fulfill a number of them in the months ahead, but there will be continual places that we labor toward for fulfillment. And, and I, I believe that that is the essence of joy. So look at how God put this together.
he causes in the New Testament, we've talked about the Old Testament, Canaan, we've talked about that, you know, Hannah asking God, we've talked about that, and it really lays the, the framework for what we are in, um, in the New Testament, the New Covenant. Um, but grace in the New Testament stands alone. It, it, is, it is something that is a shining, shining light for the people to, to follow. And we rejoice on behalf of that. It's what we encourage one another with. It's what we, we find our delight in God on that pathway as the song of grace is written uh, and uttered through rejoicing. We embrace those things, and we remember those things, and God does things through that. We rejoice in the Lord, in His pathway, and in our place in it always. And just in case we weren't listening the first time, again, He says rejoice. Uh, so that is an ongoing expression. But when joy makes its mark, we, are, we must remember that we are as a craftsman of grace. We are... We are looking to something. It's like what Abram, um, we, we walk by, by faith and not by sight. Abram called those things that be not as though they are. Uh, the tapestry of grace is being written in joy. And sometimes we think it's going one way, but then God adds to it, and then we see it in a different way. It always amazes me. Uh, with modern um, with modern technology, there uh, uh, there was uh, we were in Scotland recently. We went to the National Museum of Art there, more by my request, and um, they had just discovered when they were they did some kind. I don't know whether they were uh, re restoring a certain artwork, but they. Um, they did a scan of it, and they found underneath a, a tracing um, by <laughs> that made that painting much more valuable by a, by a great Renaissance, Renaissance artist. And that's happened many times. I know in the Louvre they've discovered that when they, when they traced certain um, paintings that uh, Van Gogh did or or even um, um, Da Vinci, they could see that on the canvas at first, he had they'd all done this. They stenciled a, a different work. And, and the end result of what they did was so different from their original vision of it. And we, of course, if you'd lived in that time, you would known they were doing this. And the reason they did it was that parchments and that kind of paper was very expensive and most of those guys were starving artists when they were doing it so they had to make do with what they had but uh, now we can see that um, as we look back they just didn't start out and pop some masterpiece out what they began with was very often much different there are several Mona Lisa's out there that were done until the final one came and they've, they've discovered these in other places. Uh, the, the, but the per perfect one is hanging in the Louvre. Um, and, I, and I wonder how many times our 
charting of joy, which is the, the, the artistic expression of grace that is in the heavens, in the heart of God. I wonder how much our perception of that changes. It doesn't change drastically. You know, for instance, we don't start drawing a dog and then end up drawing a kangaroo. But there are variations that when we begin, um, we don't recognize that God is really doing something in addition to what we're first seeing. So joy is really a burst from the Father that helps to clarify the, the, uh, the pathway of grace. And it's something that prophetically we asked God for over this past month. And, and I think that it's fitting now that God is saying more things about it. And, and I think it's very important because, you know, this is power in God. I mean, this is, you know, here is Jesus preparing his disciples before the cross. And he says, you know, I'm going to the Father, and now you've not asked for anything. But now because I'm going, you can step into this role, and you can be that representative of grace responsible before the Father at the throne of grace, and you can create something through his power and through obedience to his direction that has never been known before. I think that is, that is just phenomenal. And, and to know that Jesus himself was the, was the living depiction of joy. He was the express image of what the Father ordained for him to be. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm about His purpose. That was His character. May it be said of us that our character is an expression of grace and headed toward joy because that's what these words mean. And I'm, I'm so grateful for this. Um, I, I believe that this is really part of our battle for the end time that we continue to move in grace as saints and saints of course are partnering with the angelic they're devoted to restoring what the father has ordained from the foundation of the world that's what holy is um, we we have we look at those things that are there that may have been made ugly that have been twisted but we look to Jesus. We look to joy and we say, Father, this isn't what you want. This is what you want. And we focus on that and we war for that and we intercede for that and we breathe hard after that and we dwell with those who breathe hard after that. That's the battle of the end time. You know, the enemy is going to put upon millions of people around the world a twisting of joy on their hand or on their forehead. Maybe in India they'll put it on their forehead. Because, you know, over there, it's a mark of distinction to have a mark right there. Um, but I'm not planning to be one of those people. And, but, but that is a direct thing that the enemy knows is mocking the grace of God, and the joy of God. And we need to view it that way. 
We need to look at, we need to view things through a Nematocaust perspective. When we see these events happening in the world, we need to, we need to redouble our efforts in prayer and commit ourselves to grace, and we need to speak grace over things because that's the battleground. Bitterness is failed grace. Bitterness is witchcraft. Bitterness is every foul thing that mocks God. And you see that being depicted and expressed over and over again throughout the world. And um, we are those who follow grace. We are those who rejoice. We are those who keep our eyes upon the joy of the Lord. Because why? We want that to be perfected. We want that to be completed. We want that to be fulfilled. And that's how our joy may be full. I, I just think that is an incredible gift to us today. And so I encourage you to study uh, some of the passages of joy in the New Testament. Now, just, just to know, I would, I would encourage you to um, maybe look at this word here in John 16. And if you have your Bible program or whatever, click, click on that word for joy and then do a search on that. Because there are some words that are translated as joy, and I'm not faulting the translators, that are from another word. So stick with the original word and see what God says. And let the Spirit of the Lord minister that truth to you. And, and anytime you see that word, remember that you're partnering with God in grace to create his masterpiece. And hopefully, if we're Christ-like, and we're called to be that, that's what Christian means, and we're called to be joint heirs with Christ, um, hopefully that character of the Lord will depict that joy in us. I think that's true. You know, I often wondered, and I'm going to end with this. Of course, it's still really early, and it hasn't started raining yet. I'm kind of trying to keep you here till it starts raining so you can go out in the rain and rejoice. Um, there have been a lot of times over the years when we traveled places I'll never forget being in Washington, D.C., across from the reflecting pool, and there was a demonized guy on the other side of that pool who stood and screamed, I know why you're here, and it will do no good. And he was cursing. I remember that. I remember going to New York City with um, a, a good group of people from this church and walking out out of our hotel, the, the conference we were at was at the Marriott Marquis, so it was really near Times Square. I walked out, and this woman, older woman, just she looked like a street woman, but I don't know. She walked up and just started cursing me. I mean, she just was laying into me, just cursing me. I remember being in Argentina, and a similar thing like that happened, and I thought, do I have a sign on me that said, curse this guy, or something like that. And then I thought, well, maybe it's just that they're recognizing the, the Spirit of the Lord because, you know, that was very early on and we were in such a honeymoon period in the Spirit. I'm, I'm sure they could sense the incense of the Father as he was wooing us into this calling. But I now wonder, I wonder now if it wasn't because of this joy business and the task that was given to us and that the Father was already beginning to craft that 
And these enemy forces were so um, shocked to see that, that their expression was really just against God. Um, I don't know, and I really don't care. But what I'm telling you is that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And that's from the Old Testament. But that focus of what's being accomplished. So once again and finally for today, grace stands alone. It's part, it is part of God. It is one of his seven spirits, grace and supplication. Rejoicing is that mentality of partnering with God in it. It's, it's ways that we encourage one another. It's ways that we encourage ourselves. But this joy, um, this joy is really a developing piece of tremendous treasure in the Lord that we look to and we recognize bit by bit with a keen sharpness what God is allowing us to create in conjunction with him. And every now and then, God will really burst upon us a reflection of that. And that is an encouragement beyond anything that this world offers. And I, I, I thank the Lord for this fuller understanding. That's the wonderful thing about the things we've studied, isn't it? You know, no matter how much you write about a topic, no matter how much you see, no matter how much you've learned in the Word, the living Word can always breathe something new that you've not seen, and it does not contradict with what He's revealed because God's Word doesn't do that. And it, it allows us to, to just continue to grow and to develop, and that'll keep going on through eternity. That's the thing that's always amazed me about this walk, uh, walking this with you all as we've studied the Word that there's always something new that he's giving. And um, I, I know that, you know, we, we heard that from the Lord, and we made that statement. We said every time we come here together, we want to learn something from the Word that we've never seen before. And I think God's shown that to us, hasn't he? And, and so the miracle of it is that with, with his, he's the author, so he knows, he's the living Word. Everything he expresses is is just fresh and new and it it's line upon line and it, it's precept upon precept the, those doctrines that we embrace and then there's a here a little and a, and a there a little but it always keeps absolutely straight on course and so i'm grateful with all of the things that we've learned about grace with all of the things that we've experienced before the throne of grace that god in this time frame would open up this to us about joy. I'm very grateful for that. And I, and I think that it, it probably also indicates that all of you are becoming uh, greater craftsmen, craftsmen of a, of a more precise quality in this walk of grace than, than you realize. Um, hopefully that would be the case. Because you can't separate from joy the idea of sharpening and charting something or carving or creating something. And to do that, you don't want to put those tools in just anybody's hands. It could be a mess. It could be dangerous. And so I think that perhaps we should 
release um, the heightened measure of capacity that the Father knows that you're, you're enjoying and speak that promotion into your life, in your prayer and in your, and in your, uh, in your study and in your understanding of things. Father, I thank you today for your joy, and I release that joy to all of your people in a continuing way. I thank you for the way that you prophetically led us to this point. And I thank you that this insight today, which was definitively from you, Father, I pray that we would, we would know, we would know how to appropriate it, how to partner with you in it, that we would embrace it, that we would cherish it, and that we would ask of you individually and as a people that we would utilize this understanding from your word in a way that would be acceptable and a blessing to you. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteous vision, peace, con continuing through the sila on target, and joy. Joy is the end result. That's your kingdom, and that's what you're working with in our lives and in this saints network. So I speak blessing over all of your people, and I ask that anybody in this house, first of all, that, that is, is being attacked in this walk of grace or intact on this, in this expression of trying to, to walk with God in his joy, I rebuke those things that are coming against you, that you would be an overcomer in them. And if the enemy is coming in a way that is not legal, I break that assignment now and we put him to flight. I ask, Father, that you would bless your people, that you would provide for them, that you would release healing and encouragement, that you would release every good and perfect gift, Father, that you promised you would give. Add to us what we need. And I thank you for that. Miraculously, let provision come. Miraculously, let it come. And let it be the portion of this people. And for all of our Saints Network family, those that are part of this church officially, and those that are aligned with us as sister groups, we speak those same blessings over you today. And we thank you, Father, that we, who are bound together by the agape of the Lord, would, or can walk this path of joy together, and that all of us can see it completed and fulfilled for you. We thank you for this, Father, for we ask all of these things rejoicing in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Well, hey, thanks for being here. God bless you. And again, we declare over whatever's holding this rain out of the city of Dallas that it just be pushed away and that rain will come. Amen? We need it. God bless you all.